We are in the book of Genesis, and we are in looking this week at chapters 44 and 45. And over the past couple of weeks, we have been talking about this is the life of Joseph. We've been talking about how Joseph was testing his brothers, testing them to see um, who they were and if and how much they have changed, how much they've changed since chapter 37 when they sold Joseph into slavery. So the first test that we talked about uh, was when the brothers came because of the famine to Egypt to buy grain, um, Joseph sent all of the brothers back except for one, and that brother remained. The instruction for the other brothers was to go and get Benjamin, who was the youngest, and bring him back. Simeon stayed uh, in the land, and he was imprisoned until they returned. So the test was, would they go, would they come back for Simeon? Or would they just leave Simeon like they had left Joseph? Would they, would they bring Benjamin back? It was sort of a test to see what they would do there. Last week, we talked about the second test of Joseph with his brothers. Um, as they came back, and they came back to get Simeon, they brought Benjamin with them. Joseph prepared a feast for his brothers, a banquet. Um, and at the banquet, Joseph sat his brothers in order of their birth, right, from age, oldest to youngest. And, and he was showing them that he knew. He wanted it to be obvious to them that he knew their birth order and who was the oldest and who was the youngest. And then the test came with this. He, he at the banquet, he gave um, Benjamin, the youngest brother, five times as much as he gave any of the other brothers. Now, Again, remembering back to chapter 37, the thing that got Joseph sold into slavery and sent off to Egypt was the un unfair treatment that he received from his father. Uh, he was the favored son. He received the blessings. The brothers were angry and bitter about that, jealous of Joseph, so they sold him in, into slavery. So the test from Joseph would be, have the brothers changed? When, when I pour out my blessings on the youngest instead of the oldest, are, are, are we going to see bitterness in them? Are we going to see anger, frustration in them? How, they, how will they respond? Well, Joseph put them through that test, and they responded perfectly. The brothers celebrated that night at the, at the banquet. They celebrated. They enjoyed the feast that was set before him uh, or before them. They were satisfied with their portion, even though Benjamin received more, and they showed no ill toward anyone. So the brothers had passed both tests with Joseph. There would be one final test, and that's what we're talking about this morning. Joseph would need to be certain that his brothers had truly changed, that they were not the same men who sold him into slavery and left him in chapter 37. So we're going to talk about that test in chapter 44 and 45. We're going to see how they respond, but more than that, what we're going to see in this really is who God is. We're going to see who God is and how God acts on behalf of his people. So, a lot for us to see this morning. I want us to pray before we jump into this. And um, I've, I've been praying this morning, um, for one, that, that we would see God's beautiful grace in Christ this morning. Uh, and, and so I do pray that. We're going to talk about how God is a God of second chances. Um, I pray that we, already this morning, I've been praying that we would, 
we would be amazed at just how gracious that God is and how amazing His grace is in Jesus. So, um, as we pray now, would you, would you pray with me those things? Pray that for, for yourself. Pray that for the people around you. Um, would you pray just that the Holy Spirit would be uh, really, really good this morning to encourage us and show us Jesus? Would you pray that with me? Yeah? Okay. Let's pray. Father, it is an amazing thing that we can come together and pray. Um, this is grace. Prayer is grace. You are, you are good and kind and loving to us. Um, you hear our prayers now. And so we, we come to you needy and desiring. Um, Father, help us this morning. I, I, I pray again myself, Holy Spirit, be good to open our eyes to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus, even in the story of Joseph, how, how, how Jesus is a, a better Joseph. Uh, Father, how you are more gracious and, and, um, and giving even than Pharaoh. Help us to see those things. Help us this morning to be encouraged in who you are and in your grace to us in Jesus. And, and I pray for those who are, who are wandering today, those who are maybe in a season of, of hurt and uncertainty. Father, I, I pray that in this story they would see your sovereign, gracious, good, loving, kind, and merciful hand in all things and know that you are, you are with them even when things are dark. Help us today, Holy Spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so a lot to cover. Um, let's get started and read some of our verses in chapter uh, 44, beginning in verse 1. And what we'll see in this first part, we'll see the final test that Joseph has for his brothers. Verse 1, Then he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? Uh, you have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your, from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be our Lord's servants." He said, let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack and he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, We, sh 
what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak, or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out our, the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. So there is the test. And man, what a test it was. Joseph had his steward the day after their great banquet. Joseph had his steward place his silver cup in Benjamin's sack along with the money that was used to buy the grain. When the brothers had left, not knowing that the silver cup had been placed in there, after they had gone a short distance, Joseph sent his steward after them to overtake them and to accuse them of stealing the silver cup. How could you do such an evil thing after all that we've done for you that was good? That was the question. The brothers vehemently are denying that they have stolen the cup. In fact, they are so sure that not one of them took Joseph's silver cup that they say, listen, let the one who has the cup be killed and the rest of us will be your servants. Because they believed that they didn't have the silver cup. It wasn't there. So the king's steward said, we will do that. We will search for the silver cup. And whoever has it will be my servant. And the rest of you can go home. The cup, of course, was found in Benjamin's bag because that's where it was placed. And that was the plan all along. Joseph's steward took the brothers back to Joseph, um, and, 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 and that was the test. How would the brothers respond as they stood before uh, Joseph? Would they let Benjamin go? Now, you have to think about this. Remember, it, it was, and, and this is all a part of the test. For Joseph, Joseph was despised by his brothers because of the way uh, that he was treated. The father treated him better than the other brothers. He received blessings that they didn't receive. So now Benjamin has become the father's favorite, and Benjamin was the one that the father didn't want to send back, and it was Benjamin who even received the favor of Joseph. So if the brothers had not changed... This was their perfect opportunity to be rid of their younger brother, the favored brother, once again. And this time, this time they could be rid of him and none of it would be on them. They would have every reason to let him go and say, we're sorry, Dad, there was nothing that we could do about it. Apparently, Benjamin took the cup and so the, the, the king took him. This would show Joseph who his brothers truly were. This would show Joseph in this test if they had changed at all. So we'll keep going. And what we see in these next verses is true repentance. I am my brother's keeper. True repentance. Verse 16. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? I know I'm reading again some of these verses just so we can follow it. What shall we speak or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father." Then Judah went up to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. 
My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may see that my eyes own him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. So, so what he is doing, Judah is doing, is reminding, like, man, he, he was here only because you asked for him to be here. He is here only because of you. And then we go down to verse 30. Um, before that, Judah tells Joseph about the conversation that they had then with Jacob, the difficulty that Jacob had in letting Benjamin go. Again, how much that he loved Benjamin. Judah told um, Joseph how he had pledged himself as responsibility for Benjamin's well-being. And then in verse 30, now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please, he is pleading with Joseph, Now, therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. I, I think that in these verses we can see clearly that all of the brothers have changed. They have all stood up for Benjamin and for their father, Jacob. Judah is the family spokesman, so we hear more from Judah. But all of the brothers have come. All of the brothers have said, keep us, don't keep Benjamin, or at least don't keep just Benjamin. We are all here to be with him. Judah speaks the most, and what we see in him, really in all of them, is a 180-degree change. In chapter 37, remember back to chapter 37, um, in, in that chapter where they sold Joseph into slavery, they did not care about Joseph at all. Joseph pleaded, right? Judah is pleading here, please, please let me stay instead of my brother. In chapter 37, it was Joseph who was pleading as they had thrown him in, into a cistern. And, and there he waited and was about to be thrown or sold into slavery. He pleaded with his brothers and they ignored him. They didn't care about, about Joseph, their younger brother. They didn't care how he felt. They didn't care about what was going to happen to him. They didn't care about their father. They showed that they didn't care at all about their father and really in their actions toward Joseph and their lack of concern for their father, what they showed is that they had no care for God. They didn't care what God thought of them. They didn't care about the sin that they were committing. The only thing that they cared about was themselves. They were tired 
of not receiving everything that they thought was due to them. They, they were tired of, of not receiving what Joseph had received. They wanted more. They wanted what Joseph was getting. They were sick of their father's affections toward Joseph and them not receiving the same affection. They wanted Joseph's coat of many colors. They wanted their father's attention that was being poured out on Joseph. They despised Joseph. They despised him because of all that he had. They wanted what Joseph had. To get that, they were willing to do whatever it took. To get that, they were willing to be rid of Joseph, Joseph whom they hated. Who cares what happens to Joseph? Who cares what happens to our father? Who cares how brokenhearted and upset that he will be? That's what we saw in chapter 37. Now we see the opposite, 180 degrees. The brothers all offer themselves, no, keep us. Let Benjamin go back. We'll stay and be your servants. Judah speaks the loudest, pleading with Joseph. Take me. Take me. I have pledged myself for, for Benjamin. I have told my father that, that I would bring him back. Take me and let Benjamin go. Take me and let my brother live and let my father live. My father will surely die if Benjamin does not return home. Y'all, this is true repentance. This is true repentance. I want, you to, I want you to hear me on this. Every week at the end of the service when we, we, we talk about believing the gospel, we talk, about, we talk about repentance. Repent. Repent and turn to Him. Repentance isn't just feeling bad for something when we've sinned. Repentance is more than, than, than feeling bad, even feeling really, really, really bad about what we have done. Re repentance isn't really about our emotions at all. Though emotions may accompany repentance, it is possible to be really hurt and broken by, our, by the things that we have done. It, it is possible to be upset that we have hurt others and not truly repent. Repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to changed actions. Repentance is when our heart changes and our mind changes. Judah now loved his brother. Judah loved his brother and he loved his father and he considered their needs above his own needs. He, he considered them above himself. He valued them. He valued them even more than himself, like he was willing to suffer for them. Judah was willing to, to become the servant, the slave. He was willing to die in Egypt if his brother could be set free. That is repentance. He even indicates, he even indicates that he knows that his sin was ultimately more than a sin against Joseph and, and his father. It was a sin against God. In verse 16, he says, God has found out my guilt. True repentance, more than, more than just feeling bad. That's what we see here. Judah's mind and heart has changed. It's changed toward God, and he wants to do what is right in the eyes of God. It's changed toward his brother. He loves and cares for his brother. We talked about this last week. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. Judah was his brother's keeper. His mind and heart has changed toward his father. 
He's filled with compassion for his father. He loves his father. This was not just an emotional change for the moment, but a change so deep in his beliefs and his understandings that Judah was offering his very life for his brother and his father. So let's see what happens next in chapter 45. Verse 1, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years, five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring back my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. In verse 16, Pharaoh uh, hears, right? We just read that that they heard the cries of Joseph. In verse 16, Pharaoh uh, heard what was happening, and it says that it pleased Pharaoh. He He was pleased about this reunion. So Pharaoh told Joseph to make sure and tell his brothers to go back, go back home and bring your father and your families to come back here. And the Pharaoh himself promises, I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the best of the land. Verse 19, do this, Pharaoh talking, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So they did, and they went home. They went home with clothing and money and, and, and donkeys, donkeys loaded um, with all the goods of Egypt, more donkeys. He even sent them back with more donkeys, with silver, with money, with grain, with bread, and more. All of the fruit and the bounty of Egypt went back with the brothers to their father. And verse 25 says, So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan. 
to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So here we see in this section, I think, the blessings of God for those who are repentant. We see the blessings of God for those who are repentant. With their repentance and these genuine steps in keeping with true repentance. I want to say that again. When there is genuine and true repentance, that there is a change in behavior. There, there is a change in actions. There are steps that are in keeping with true repentance. When Joseph saw that, that, that his brothers were truly repentant, he could contain himself no more. He sent the people of Egypt out so that he could be alone with his brothers because he could no longer contain himself. Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and at first, I love this, they were dismayed. Like, I imagine they were dismayed. You're what? You're who? Because Joseph had been gone so many years before, I think we see in them a a, a moment of confusion and doubt and uncertainty and certainly shock as the man standing before them, the second in command of all of Egypt, was saying, my brothers, it's me, Joseph. Here he was before them. Amazing, the family is being reunited, and we are again one step closer to the fulfillment of the dreams that Joseph was given by God in chapter 37. We see this chapter close with the joyful response of Jacob My son is still alive. My son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And that is a a beautiful reunion that's taking place. The brothers are being reconciled, and and, and Jacob will at last see his long-lost son that he loved and, and thought was gone forever. Now, that in itself is a gracious gift of God, right? I mean, think about it. We've talked about this week in and week out. Who could make this story up? I mean, this is only a story from God, and this is a, this is a true story. These things happened in the life of Joseph. Who could imagine these things happening. What a, what a grace, right, that these brothers had sold their younger brother and thought he was gone forever. What a beautiful story that God would bring him to be second in control of all of Egypt. How amazing that he's there when this famine happens and his brothers come. How incredible that they have been truly repentant and their lives have changed and Joseph sees it and now the family is reunited. And, and here we have the father coming back. He's going to go to Egypt and see Joseph again. All of this, a gracious gift from God. All of this, the blessing of God on this family's life, on Joseph's life, on Jacob's life, on the brother's life, all all of it, the blessing from God. But on top of that, on top of that, again, because of the true repentance that we see in the brothers, Joseph 
has invited his family not just to be reunited and to see him again, but to come and live in the land of Egypt, to live in the land of Egypt like part of the royal family. They would come with the invitation of Pharaoh himself who said, I I will bless you. You'll never want again. You will live on the best of the land. You will eat of the fat of the land. Like kings, family of the king. And the guarantee that he gave, the guarantee, right? Like, Like just so that they would know this is legit and for real. The Pharaoh sent them back with his own wagons not just their donkeys loaded down with grain and other goods. He sent more donkeys carrying the wagons. They were loaded down with grain and with silver and, and, and other riches and fruit and food, all of the fruit of the land of Egypt. They were being blessed, not, not as anything more but a down payment. Right? Here is a down payment to what will be yours. Here is a glimpse of what you will enjoy when you come back to the land of Egypt. All, all of the blessings of Egypt will be yours. And not, not just for the famine, but what we would read and see in the history of Israel is, is beyond the famine. They would be blessed. Not just saved from the famine. God was doing an amazing thing, and they were receiving more than they had ever dreamed possible. So, so let's, let's stop right there where the story stops, an incredible story, and let's talk about some of the possible reasons for this chapter, these chapters, and God making sure that this story was included. Um, I, I think that what we see is, is a message for God's people, and we should always be looking for that. Now, we've talked about this every week as well. This was originally written for the nation of Israel, for God's people, the descendants of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers, those descendants who would spend 400 years in slavery in Egypt. Moses wrote this and delivered it to those people as they were likely preparing to enter into the promised land. This is the message for God's people, but there is also a message in it for us. So let's start with the message for, uh, for Israel, the message for Israel. Um, first of all, they would need to know that their God is always at work. Their God is always at work. I feel a little bit like a broken record saying that again. It's just this theme that runs throughout the entire book of Genesis. But, but if we're honest and we look at the entire Old Testament and then flip over and look at the entire New Testament, that is a theme throughout. Our God is always at work, and really what He has been doing from the very beginning, He has been working. We talk about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, the big story of the Bible. We see that in the book of Genesis, and what we see in the story of Joseph is that. God working all things together for good. God working to, to, to make for himself a people, to redeem a people to himself so that they will be his people and he will be their God. And in the end, God's desire and, and, and God's work is to redeem that people and to restore them, to restore them to all that was intended in the beginning before sin entered into the world. And so, so we see in, in these chapters in the life of Joseph that is what God is doing. 
God is working all things together for good. God is working to redeem a people for himself, to create a people for himself. When we, when we look at the life of Joseph, right, knowing that our God is always at work in this bigger story and in Joseph's story, we see in Joseph a man who, who suffered for decades. For decades, Joseph suffered. He was a slave. He was thrown into prison. He was used. He was lied about. He was forgotten um, by people that he helped. He suffered for decades. He suffered, and his suffering was really, really hard. He lived a hard and dark life. And yet now, now his brothers stood before him. And look at the words that he says in chapter 45, beginning in verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Listen, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Isn't that incredible? My brothers, do not be dismayed. Decades of suffering and darkness for him. My brothers, do not be dismayed. This was all the work of God. It was all the work of God for such a time as this. It, it was God who sent me here before you. It was God who sent me here to prepare for this famine in order to save you. God sent me here for this day to preserve his people. Don't you see Brothers, this is all the work of the hand of God, even in my suffering, even in the darkness. This wasn't you. This was God at work, always at work. Always at work, Joseph is saying, for just this day. Why would Israel need to be reminded of that? Israel would suffer as well. In fact, this was being written to a people who had just spent 400 years in bondage as slaves. 400 years of being cruelly treated by the, the heavy hand of Egypt. Don't you think that when they came out, they, they, out of that bondage, they would wonder, God, why have you done this to us? Where have you been for these 400 years? How could you let us suffer like we have suffered for generation after generation after generation after generation? God, where were you? God was there. And Joseph's story was a glimpse at their own story. This was God saying, even in the dark days, even in the difficult days, I was there with you. Even in your suffering, I was at work. I was preserving a people. I was making for myself a people. They needed to know that he had been with them the entire time. They needed to know. They needed to know that even in their suffering, God was at work. 
And they would need to know that as they wandered in the wilderness. They needed to know that he was sovereign, sovereign over the nations, sovereign over Pharaoh, sovereign over even nature, sovereign over time itself. They needed to know that there was nothing, nothing, nothing at all, no one who could ever stand in the way of their God and his promises. Nothing would ever come their way that was outside of his control. They needed to see that he was able, able as the sovereign and all-powerful God, that he was able to fulfill every promise that he made. And that's what he was doing through Joseph. They needed to see that he was faithful and true to his word. The promises that he had made to Abraham that were passed on to Isaac and to Jacob, they were now being fulfilled through Joseph. They needed to see that their God was good and kind and merciful. They needed to see that he was all of those things even when the days were dark. They needed to see who he was even when it was difficult. In fact, they would, they would need to trust him most in those dark and difficult days. They needed to know their God was always at work. They needed to know as well that their God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. Joseph's family would be blessed beyond measure. I mean, just in the, the, the wagons that came back with the riches of Egypt, they were blessed. They would be blessed far beyond that. They would be blessed with all of the fat of the land of Egypt. Anything that was the Pharaoh's that they needed or wanted, they had. It was theirs as well. They lived as a royal family in the land of Egypt. They were blessed beyond measure. Hear me on this. It would not be because they were good and holy and righteous people. They did not receive the blessings of God because they were perfectly good and holy and righteous people who had gotten their life together. They did not receive the blessings of God because they earned the blessings of God. We have seen the exact opposite of them in these, in these chapters. They, they, they had proven themselves to be liars. The brothers were liars. They had proven, they had proven that they were self-centered and unloving, that they were unkind They'd proven that they were unmerciful when their, when their younger brother begged them for mercy. When he begged them from the pit, they ignored him. Merciless toward their father whom they knew loved him so much and would be so brokenhearted. And they did not care. And yet despite this, as soon as they repented, as soon as they turned to God, their God opened the floodgates. In fact, even before they repented, he was at work moving all the, all the pieces into place for just this day. Now, what we see in the story of Joseph would become a part of God's Old Testament covenant with Israel. This would become a part of the law. And in that covenant with Israel, in that Old Testament covenant with Israel, uh, we call it a, a covenant of blessings and cursings. Because what God promised to his people Israel, he gave them the law. And he said, if you will follow this law, if you will keep my commands, then you will be my people and I will be your God and I will bless you beyond measure. 
I, I, I will give you land. I will give you blessings. I will give you victory over your enemies. I will be with you and you will be blessed above all the nations as long as you keep my law and you follow my commands. But if you don't, you will be cursed. Maybe I should say when you don't. When you don't keep my law and my commands, when you forget me and you fail to follow me, when that happens, you will be cursed. And you will be cursed beyond your imagination. But if you repent, if you repent of your sin, if you repent of your faithlessness, if you, re if you repent of not following my commands, keeping my commands, following my law, if you repent of not loving and following me, then I will return to you, and I will welcome you, and you will again be my people, and I will be your God, and once again I will open the floodgates of my blessings. That's what we see in Jacob's family. That's what would come 400 years later in the law. A covenant, an Old Testament covenant with God's people. Keep my laws, follow my commands, and I will bless you. Israel would need to remember that, that God was a God of second chances because they would fail him often. They needed to know that God stood ready, as the covenant would say, that God stood ready, repent and turn to me, repent and love me, love and follow me, and I will again receive you as my people and I will pour my blessings out on you. They needed to know that their God was a God of second chances. So what about us? What is the message for us if that is the message for them? First of all, I would say we too should know that our God is always at work. Our God is always at work. Um, individually in our lives, our God is always at work. Even in our days of, of, of suffering, our God is at work. Even in the days of darkness where, where, where it seems that we have no hope, we always have hope because our God is at work. Our sovereign God is working all things together for good, just as he promised. And we should see that in the life of Joseph and his brothers. We should be reminded that our God is not absent in the lives of his people, that he is always near and he is always working, even in those dark days. As Israel was called to trust him in the darkness, we are called to do the same. Trust him even when you don't see his hand at work. Trust Him in the most difficult days. Believe. Believe that He is faithful and true and gracious and merciful and kind. Believe that your God is always good, even when you don't see it. Like them as well, we should know that our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of second chances and third and fourth and ten thousandth chances. The blessings that we are promised, the blessings that we are promised are far greater than the blessings that Jacob and his family received. Greater than the promised land that Israel would receive. Our blessings are far greater than the land that Israel would receive. Think about it. Y'all, we are promised the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is yours as a Christ follower.
We are promised the kingdom of God. We are promised the garden restored. I love, I love those first few chapters or couple of chapters in Genesis. I imagine what life must have been like in the garden when God would come in the cool of the day, when, when Adam and Eve, when, when they were blessed with everything that they needed and more, when, when God would come physically and visit them in the garden and they could hear him and they could see him and, and, and he would fellowship with them. And he would speak with them, and they would speak with him. He was there in the garden with them. That is the promise for us. One day, one day the garden will be restored for for all of God's people. This remnant that was was being preserved even through Joseph and throughout the Old Testament and, and into the New Testament. This remnant that God was pulling and drawing to himself. God will fully redeem and God will fully restore and and he will be our God and we will be his people and there will be no more suffering far greater than the blessings that Jacob and his family received. We, We will suffer no more, no more suffering, no more pain, no more fighting, no more wars, no injustice, no racism, no lacking, no need and all of that will last forevermore in the beauty and the glory of Jesus himself. And ours, ours is not the Old Testament covenant of blessings and cursings. Ours is the new, new covenant made in the blood of Jesus. Ours is not a covenant, listen to me, or you'll miss the beauty of this. Ours is not a covenant where we will be blessed and received if we keep his laws and follow him. Ours is a covenant made in the blood of Jesus where we are already received today and forevermore, not because we keep his laws or we are able to keep his laws, not because we walk perfectly and faithfully with him, but because Jesus did. Because Jesus meets the righteous requirements of the law and the old covenant for us. Because Jesus paid the penalty of the cursings. The cursings that should be ours because we did not keep the law, Jesus took on himself. Cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. And he was raised. He was raised raised from death, defeating death and sin and Satan so that we will one day rise with him victorious over all of those things. Our promise is not for the riches of Egypt in this life. Hear me there. Our promise is not for the the, the riches of Egypt in this life or temporary earthly blessings because we have somehow kept the law. Our promise is that in Christ we are made right with God. By His blood, the covenant In his blood, we have been made sons and daughters of the Most High God, who is faithful and true always. And the beauty of the gospel is that when we love and follow Jesus, when we we see that he is all that we need, when we trust in his work and not in our own, no matter how many times that we slip and stumble and fail, right? The Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant was when you slip and you fail and you fall, cursings come. 
How beautiful is the New Testament covenant in the blood of Jesus that no matter how many times in Christ that we slip and we fall and we fail, He will always be there to pick us up. Because of Jesus for believers, He is not the God of second chances. He is a God of infinite chances. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of the gospel. Thank you that your blessings are not based on my performance. Thank you that Jesus did what I could never do. Thank you, Father, that this was all a part of your beautiful plan to redeem us, to restore us. I pray for those this morning who, who feel like they are stumbling in darkness and, and, and question whether you're near. I pray today that they would know that you are near that they would know that you would never leave them and forsake them, that even in the darkness when they cannot see you, you are there. We know this because you have given us Jesus. We know this because your, your spirit is there to testify to our spirit today that this is true. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, you would remind us of these truths again and again and again and again. I pray, I pray that even as believers, Father, that we would not be caught up in the riches of Egypt, but that we would know that you have offered us so much more, and that Jesus is more beautiful than wagons of treasure. Help us today to see and believe. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.